Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Dollar Coltman, joined by Elliot Tanti and Braden Dollar Coltman. We're going to talk golf. We're going to talk about some developments in the Team Canada uh, sexual assault investigation and scandal. And then we are going to have some fun looking back at what was a very busy week in the NHL's offseason and the free agency signing. Before we get to that really quickly, Elliot, I know it's hot in Edmonton. Uh, what are you doing to beat the heat? Uh, I don't know that I'm beating it at this moment, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, you just have nice. to embrace it at this point. And, so, uh, we're going to play a game of winners and losers. Would you say that when it comes to the fight against the Heat, you are a loser? Yeah, currently right now, I would say I am a loser. And I'm one that likes the Heat. But it's been, it's been, a, it's been a pretty hot couple days here. All right. Well, let's get right to it. Here's topic one. All right. So as I teased off the top there, we're going to spend a little bit of time here talking about the Open. Uh, it was the 150th playing of golf's most uh, sort of iconic um, one of one of golf's most iconic uh, majors, and I would argue one of the ones that means probably the most to many of the professional players out there because they have to go back and play uh, where golf all began, and in this case, exactly at the old course at St Andrews, a course that means uh, an awful lot to a lot of those pros. It's a difficult course for a lot of different reasons. Um, it, it challenges them. It, it pushes them. And obviously this year was no exception. It gave us some great golf, a lot of excitement there um, and a lot of storylines um, before we get to Sunday and the absolute amazing um, back nine of the eventual champion, as well as the sort of heartbreak for the hometown kid, Rory McIlroy. I just wanted to start with this. We know this is probably going to be the last time we see Tiger Woods play competitive golf at St. Andrews. It's possible he goes to more opens, but based on the way that these courses are rotated, it does not come back up in the schedule till 2027. He would be 51 years old and given everything that has happened, that is unlikely to be uh, a competitive Tiger Woods there. He was emotional coming down the final walk at the 18th on um, Friday, having missed the cut. But watching it, Elliot, uh, as I'm sure as many sports fans did, were you not yourself a little choked up watching one of the greatest of all time on what was just a very emotional moment and, and an icon, another iconic moment added to the list of Tiger Woods? Uh, how did you feel about that? Yeah, it, it struck me as it, I think it did. And, and I'm thinking, you know, I've been thinking a lot as to why and, and wondering why it was so impactful. And I wonder if it's not just because this is all kind of realizing us realizing that this is the beginning of the end. This is going to be the Tiger Tour uh, and sort of his final sort of there's going to be a lot of courses coming through now where it's like, oh, this is the last time we're going to see Tiger do this in this kind of way. And based on how impactful he's been on golf, the, the stratosphere with which he's catapulted the game into, of course, you have to feel feel some emotion around it. And I, and rightfully so. I It's just I just truly believe this is us all realizing that this is the beginning of the end here. Right. And before we move to the other part of it, can Tiger win another major? Mm. well i don't th- i honestly i don't think so like hearing him talk about how much stress his body was put under on, on this i mean st andrews obviously is a very challenging course but uh the amount of stress that the body's put under it's it's hard i mean it makes me think of kind of gretzky realizing he could he wasn't the same gretzky he couldn't score the same kind of amount the amount of goals the same kind of winning that he had obviously tiger is very competitive and believes that he probably could do it but i think i don't think he i don't think he's got an another major i mean yeah that's that's a hard 
that's a hard one. I, th- I think we've seen everything when it comes to uh, winning championships from Tiger. So obviously we've been following along as the major sort of um, the new, the new development in the whole golf world has been the, the, the sort of competitive and, and very contentious sort of debate between the PGA tour and the new live golf tour. And obviously, you know, Rory McIlroy came out in Canada the weekend that the live golf tour um, launched as a very vocal um, sort of advocate for the PGA, right? He, he was very defensive and very protective of the legacy of the PGA and all of that. And he has kind of become the poster child for the resistance mm-hmm. against live golf, if you want to call it that. And it's interesting because obviously for decades, Tiger Woods was the face of golf. He was the face of the PGA, all of that. And it does really feel like over the course of this weekend, as much as Rory was already the figurehead, it, it felt like a passing of the torch in many ways. Like this is the guy now the PGA has to hang their, their sort of hat and, ma- and mantle has to be passed to because Tiger's gone. And whether Tiger wins again or Tiger continues to compete, the Tiger of old is gone in many ways. He is now an elder statesman of the sport. He is, he is, uh, it, it's a bit like when you watch like a legacy band from the eighties or nineties going tour, isn't it great to go see the Rolling Stones, but you know, you're watching a nostalgia sure. version of uh, a shadow of what once was. And that's the, just the truth of where Tiger is still exciting to watch, still grabs the attention, but not because of the competitiveness so much as just the spectacle that is Tiger Woods. Rory McIlroy, on the other hand, led going into Sunday at St. Andrews, of course, that we knew meant a lot for him to be leading at. And it looked, to be honest with you, like even after the first nine, he was in a great position to win. But then out of just an unbelievable round of golf from Cameron Smith, the Aussie, who racked up five consecutive birdies um, starting uh, starting out the back nine and then just played flawless, especially with the flat stick, putting unbelievably, putting himself in positions where even when he had had a bad tee shot or he'd had a bad second shot, he was if as long as he was close, he could putt. We know that I, and we watched a lot of long putts happening here because that's how St. Andrews plays. Elliot, uh, obviously Cameron Smith, a worthy winner, but for you as a storyline, I mean, how hard must this be for Rory McIlroy? And, and do you think this, this hurts the PGA tour or him more? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I think it would be hard to compete with how probably disappointed he's probably feeling right now. Uh, but Rory will be back. He's got years ahead of him. He's a great player. He's finally finding his form. I think he's done some things that uh, uh, he's changed some things in, in his game and made him a, uh, a little bit stronger player. Uh, the thing with Rory is always like he can hit it a mile, it, it, mm. and he's not too he's not too bad of a putter. Uh, the challenge for him is always his his irons and his and his and, and his pitching wedges. So uh, he seems to have figured that out. And you know, golf is you're not going to win every tournament. He's been around these and he's playing well, and he's going to start getting some. I, I but I'm sure he's disappointed today. It's funny you say that because it it, it you do compare that kind of championship pedigree for Rory he had opportunities you know you said he's not he's not that bad of a putter well that's right he, I mean he had two really close putts to at least tie him at the end of the yeah, 18 that would have led to a, a you know a playoff and and then potentially win and, and coming up short like is that is that just Rory now or or will he ever turn that around like has he won the Masters I think you asked me this earlier I, I don't think he's even won you know, some of those majors, he should have, you think he has, but there seems to be something that's just preventing him in terms of the championship uh, prowess to be able to get the job done. 
But you saw uh, that with Phil yeah. Mickelson for a long time too, where he was, you know, he had done everything about win a major, and it took him a long time to finally break through. And, and he, there. And he, he hasn't won a, he has not won a Masters. He's won two PGA Championships, uh, the Open Championship once before in the U.S. Open in 2011. His previous uh, major, though, he won both the Open and the PGA Championship in 2014. That's the last time he's mm-hmm. won a major. So he wow. he has definitely now been sitting on um, those four for for quite a while, waiting for his next opportunity. And you know he's had ups ups and downs. Obviously, I I think that's the the hard part was just watching how. Um, how this guy, I mean, Cameron um, came like just came out of nowhere. Honestly, I, it, it, I, I sort of likened it to like, you know, you're, you're, you're running down the, the 40 yard line with the, with the perfect reception or whatever, and you don't feel any pressure. And then some guy who just happens to have like 5k on comes out of nowhere and takes you out. But like from Cameron Smith's perspective, I mean, Give the man full credit. Unbelievable round of golf. He he yeah. he golfed, I believe, two rounds of the four at 62, which is just phenomenal. And to be able to weather both the pressure of it, but to almost just look at, at all times, especially, especially when he got to the putting stage of it, like like he like he was out for a nice Sunday round with the boys. Like it was so calm and so relaxed. Um and it just, it just was a great performance. It's one of those performances that although everyone wanted the storybook finish for Rory, you will, you have to give him full credit for doing it. And you got to give Cameron Young credit too, because they, even at the they, end, yeah. I mean, Cameron Young stuck around and stuck around and, and even at 18 tied him um, with, with a great birdie putt, but, you know, obviously it wasn't able to, to, to. He ran out of hold, Yeah, he just play. ran out of, exactly. <laughs> they, they would have loved to have gone another, uh, sure. another nine. Look, at the end of the day, I think this tournament lived up to its billing. It's been nice to see golf have these moments where it grabs the attention. Um, and obviously the open always does well because it's smack dab in the middle of sort of the quiet part of the summer where really it's only competing with baseball uh, and then the off season of everything else. But um, you know, you look back at what this year has already meant for golf. It's been a very tumultuous time. And I think for both the open, which was celebrating 150 years, and that's a big deal, 30 of them being played here at uh, St. Andrews. It means a lot for golf to have a weekend that goes off with a positive storyline attached to it. And I think in many ways, that's what I'm sure they'll, they'll, they'll all the PGA tour, the European tour. I mean, other than live golf, everybody came away looking great. So. Well, lots of the the live golf players were there. Yeah. And played well, but at the end of the day for, for, for all of, for all of uh, the PGA side of it, they're just happy that the tournament was about the tournament and about great golf. And look, it grabbed attention and that's what golf has to figure out is what the future of it and who the face of the future is. And we'll see. Uh, Interesting. Just to tie this up, all four majors this year, won by players under the age of 30. First time. Wow. Uh, first time ever. Well, so, that doesn't bode well for Tiger. Well, not first time ever, I shouldn't say, because Tiger, <laughs> Tiger, I believe, had his his Tiger Slam uh, right, under sure. the age of thirty. But regardless, uh, interesting to see that that's up there. So golf is getting younger, and, and that's probably also a valuable thing because those stars have an opportunity to continue to grab fans. Let's leave topic one there. Topic two this week is brought to us by Busy Bee Vegan Skincare. Busy Bee is an all-natural skincare line dedicated to healthy, vegan, plant-based skincare and overall wellness. They offer a selection of handcrafted body scrubs, butters, and washes that not only make your skin glow, but smell amazing. Their unique all-natural scents include gingerbread, ruby grapefruit, caramel cake, and morning latte. So why not treat your skin to something fresh and all-natural? Head over to shopbusybevegan.com today. And as a special bonus, Busy Bee is offering listeners of this podcast a 15% discount on your first order with the code 
Ordinary Podcasts. Okay, we're going to switch gears here for topic two. Um, this is a story that we have covered. Um, we covered a little bit earlier in the year uh, when it was first sort of brought up, and obviously it's developed a few different times. Uh, once again, Rick Westhead at the forefront of reporting, uh, and, and and for those who haven't been following along, I'll try to do my best to just give you a brief um, recap. Obviously, earlier this year, we discovered that there was a lawsuit that had been settled with Team or, uh, Hockey Canada um, regarding a woman who had accused eight members of the CHL. Um, some, some of them were members of the um, World Junior Team of 2018 of a sexual assault, uh, basically gang rape, um, at a golf tournament that was sanctioned by Team Canada. She had sued Team Canada for damages. Um, she remained anonymous and has not identified any of the accused players. However, it came to light because it appeared that the settlement was dealt with by Team Canada under sort of a cloak of darkness and without any for, uh, sort of um, transparency, certainly towards their funding bodies and sponsors. So, it's, so it was sort of a situation where the, the incident itself, as horrible as it is, was only compounded, as we have seen in many of these situations, by the cover-up. Uh, Team Canada has been called forth basically now um, into the light for uh, just the complete malpractice of how the situation was handled. They had uh, a parliamentary inquiry into this entire situation. Many of their sponsors have suspended their partnerships with Hockey Canada, and the federal government has suspended their funding, barring um, some clear um, action towards improving both the transparency of how their organization deals with accusations uh, of sexual assault or physical abuse, as well as to ensure that there are better guardrails and protections in place for this situation to never happen again. This week, um, it, it was announced that Team Canada was going to attempt to check some of those boxes, including launching their own independent investigation into both the situation, it, the original incident itself, as well as the how it unfolded to ensure that they are able to basically clean house and make a better make better their, their own internal situation. Uh, it has also come out this week, I believe, that the NHL will be conducting their own investigation as well because several of these players are NHL players now. Elliot, I'll go to you first. As we discussed the first time around on this, obviously this is a very tricky and difficult thing to unpack because there's a lot of moving parts. But now that we have seen the beginning of the fallout here, first the parliamentary inquiry and the suspension of funding, and now we're hearing that Hockey Canada will be conducting this investigation. Do you believe the right steps are being taken um, towards the, you know, I guess do you, that, I guess that's the question. Do you believe the right steps are being taken towards, you know, trying to rectify how this whole situation was just completely and utterly uh, carried out? I mean, sure, I guess it's too late though, yeah. and it will always be too late. And it shouldn't have, like, you know, the fact that it's taking our government, our federal government, to step in for in order for Hockey Canada to act in an appropriate way, is is galling to me. And and I think you know. You know, actually, let me amend that. No, it's not, because it's not going to be enough until some heads roll here at Hockey Canada in terms of leadership. I know that Tom Remini has has since retired and, and, and left. There's a new CEO in and there's people there, uh, new people. It doesn't matter. The way that this situation was dealt with was inappropriate and it was wrong. And the fact that uh, 
uh, it was allowed to happen and would have gone basically unmentioned. There just would have been a settlement made and everyone be quiet about it. No issues or anything done uh, and, until Rick West had got involved and, and sort of shone a light on this thing is appalling. And so it's, yeah, I mean, in some ways, good. It's glad to see that they're right on track. In other ways, like, this is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it and it just gives such a shines such a poor light on hockey and hockey culture and particularly the old boys club that is Hockey Canada. Yeah, I mean, the the part around it being too late, I think that doesn't dismiss the fact that it is good that it is now still happening. The fact that uh, people will be held accountable for these actions and these dealings has to happen regardless of whether or not it's too late. It sucks that it's happened and has gotten to this point. We've had many conversations around it, but accountability has to happen and it has to start uh, with the organization, whether or not they were pressured to do it or not, they're doing it. And and those are the right things to do. And for the culture to change, these kinds of things have to happen. They ha- it has to be uncomfortable for those uh, I mean, the, 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 the people involved have to be held accountable. It cannot just remain un, uh, undone. And, and beyond just that incident, that has to be the, be the benchmark and the level set for future dealings of that kind of a situation um, so, that th- so that it never happens, so that, they, you know, that there is proper training for players to understand what that actually means. You know, uh, you, know you, you want to think that it's obvious with the kind of sexual assault or the kind of uh, harm that was brought about. But, uh, but, but because they're kids and there's an organization that is responsible for them, put, you know, make sure that those things are in place so that there is, you know, that, that, that the culture is right, I guess. So the accountability I'm, I'm glad to see is, is taking place right now. Now, there will be two more hearings in front of this parliamentary committee on July, July 26th and 27th. So we'll continue to see what the fallout from that situation is. Obviously, this investigation is being conducted. I mentioned the NHL's investigation, and I'll go here with a, I'll zoom out for a second and just sort of put this in a bigger context where, you know, we've got several stories right now in the sports world revolving around sexual assault. Deshaun Watson is the one that comes to mind for me, right? Yeah. Quarterback now for the Cleveland Browns, previously of the Texas, the Texans, the Houston Texans, the Texan Texans. And obviously the original scope of the accusations against Watson has, has evolved. It sounds now like we're close to 18 or 19 accusers people who were hired as massage therapists who were then sexually assaulted by this person. The NFL is investigating that. We've got the NHL investigating these players. I guess the question is this, at what point do we start to recognize that we are clearly at a place culturally in our sports where the consequences are not a deterrent. They are not enough of a, um, Uh, They're not enough of a punishment, frankly. And I don't just mean for the individual athletes, but moreover for the organizations Mm. and the institutions that, that are, that are allowing these things to happen. We've talked about the Chicago Blackhawks a lot on this show, the institutional cover-up, the institutional protection of these, of this perpetrator. Um, And in this situation, I mean, does the NFL not, should the NFL also not be punishing that the Houston Texans for the fact that they, uh, insulated this individual even after accusations were made should team so should hockey canada not be put in a much more um 
you know, serious position about whether or not this organization as it currently exists should exist at all. Um, I, I guess those are all open-ended questions and, and, and I invite you, Elliot and Braden, if you want to jump in on either of those. But for me, I look at it and I think, you know, clearly we've gotten to a place where so many people in these positions of organizational leadership are willing to sacrifice basic human decency for the almighty dollar and more importantly, the idea of team and sport first. And when that is the culture, it is so rotten to the core that you have to at some point think that without a clear and, and like decisive blow to the actual institution, nothing will change. Right. And I don't have the answer as to what that is, whether it's financial and you're finding those teams, whether it's punishment. Uh, I mean, in the Houston Texans situation, is it stripping them of draft picks for a period of time? I mean, Hockey Canada is already in a financial situation where their sponsors are, are, are leaving them. Their funding from the government is coming. The challenge is, how do you reorganize the, that organization in such a way that, that you don't just sort of turn the taps back on and they go back to business as usual and sort of say, well, we won't do it again. How do you ensure that that part happens? And again, I don't know the answer. But for me, both of these situations are huge red flags about the power we have allowed these institutions to have. I'll take just a split second to go a, a, another step outside of it, leaving the abuse and sexual assault part of this. I mean, we're looking at a similar situation in terms of organizational dysfunction with Soccer Canada and the fact that now the players are looking to unionize because the organization has too much power. They have too much uh, authority in terms of being able to basically do what they want and it is hurting people. And I guess that's my question. How do you fix this? And I don't know if that's a question any of us here can answer, but it's a question I don't think is being asked enough. You know, there's a lot of pressure on the NFL to discipline Deshaun Watson. That's, that's the right thing to do. That's correct. But that's not far enough. If the NHL wants to punish these individual players, they should. That's hundred percent what should happen. Hockey Canada should suspend them and they should never be allowed to play for team Canada again. They should probably uh, in the state of, or the province of Ontario be charged with a crime. I don't know if that's going to happen either because I don't know if the victim of these, this specific incident wants to do that. She's clearly chosen to keep their names and her own anonymous. And she has that right as a victim. However, these are professional athletes who are playing for, you know, one of the most prominent leagues in, in North America, so I, I, I digress, but I'll, I'll just say in closing, I really do think this and these other incidents I brought up all need to be put in the, in the same category of examples of, of just complete and utter um, dysfunction within the structures of these sports organizations and the power that we have allowed them to wield. Yeah, we want this to happen, though, in terms of them reopening this investigation. Like, this 100%. is the right step forward in in that capacity they, they can't just leave it now no and i'm not suggesting that i'm saying as elliot said i feel a little bit more uh i feel a little bit less confident in the outcome of any investigation other than the fact that they're going to identify the same people that have already been identified as the failures from the leadership perspective look tom rennie just left his position july 1st as he was already scheduled to do there's no accountability from that perspective he's not being fired from that job maybe there's i mean there's no criminal you know we don't know what any of the other consequences are um but the reality is that the entire leadership of that organization should be stripped down to the to the you know the core and 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 rebuilt from the ground up as far as i'm concerned yeah. um the entire 
again. And I think it likely will. I, I do. I think that that will be part of this investigation in terms of how it unfolds. Like I, I, I have faith that 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 will happen. And the worst part, the worst part from the Team Canada side of it, from from the strict side of it, is obviously that this crime occurred under their watch. They allowed the cover up to occur. They tried to hide it. And in all of that, the, all they have done is continued to pile up victims because not only is the the initial crime and that victim a part of this, but now every uh, young athlete in this country who was relying on that organization to continue to allow them to pursue a sport they love or to go and get physical, uh, 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 you know, physical activity out of, uh, and, and all of minor hockey, which is all under the same umbrella, again, fueling the incredibly, you know, uh, out, out proportional size of this organization. Those are all now unintended victims of this part of the system hockey in Canada from a minor hockey perspective will suffer because this organization valued their own financial and their own sort of in internal um, protection over the, 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 you know, decency and respect of a single individual who was assaulted. And had they dealt with this in the right way that, you know, anyway, yeah. Elliot, any last thoughts on this before we leave it alone? I guess I would just say we're talking like it's this is you're either talking about an intervention or prevention. And right now they're failing on both ends. They failed on the intervention side when something happened. They failed to deal with it in the appropriate way. And there's a massive issue related to that. And and, and Braden, I agree that, you know, they do have to do the investigation, but it's too little too late in my mind. And, and I do I, like Jordan don't have faith in the process. So so there, there's a trust issue on that side. Yeah. But I think more holistically. And Jordan, when you kind of got into other sports and other situations, I think sports in general has work to do on the proactive end uh, around how are we teaching uh, young men and young boys what appropriate conduct is not. And that that's not happening. And, and these incidents keep happening. Yeah. Demonstrate to me that we've got a systemic issue here on yeah. the prevention side. Yeah. And it's and, and for me, the prevention goes one step further, which isn't just in terms of ensuring that we're teaching these young people what's right and wrong, which should be happening at all places in society. But moreover, the next step is where I expect there to be a level of accountability. When this kind of event happens, there, there must be absolutely zero tolerance for cover-up, for, for yeah. deflection, for protectionism of the athlete, for protection of, an, for, uh, uh, protectionism of the organization. There, there has to be an absolute zero tolerance for this kind of behavior or, or, or any you know, type of, of illegal activity that's occurring inside any of these organizations, uh, yeah. being sanctioned by these organizations. Because when you cover it up, not only are you letting the perpetrators of some of these off the hook, you are condoning it, you are supporting it, you are building a culture around it of, of secrecy and all of this stuff. And it always, always only gets worse. There is not a single point in any of these stories, the Chicago Blackhawks one, now this Team Canada one, the Deshaun Watson one, any single one of these where the cost benefit from the organization was even remotely benefit. Like there was nothing that any of these teams have come away with thinking that they actually, they made off well. None of them. Of course. It just doesn't make any sense. In but, that, but in that moment, you, you have to be able to say there's yeah. no tolerance for it. And it should be in the, it should be in, there should be clearly written uh, language in all of their guiding principles in all of their documentation in terms of their organizational structure, all of it, it should be that clear and cut and it should be more openly conversated about 
as Elliot said, before these situations happen. That's the prevention part. And I think that it's ju- it's not just the prevention of these young athletes to be put in a situation around this, to create that culture. The culture is at all levels. The yeah. top needs to be trained that way. The Every single executive that's in that, that, that you know, they live and breathe that and they, and it need that kind of thing needs to change. But I, but I need to push back on the too little too late thing because it, I, it can't be too late to, to change that either. That has to happen. That no, has I think the forward. argument is just, isn't it sad we've gotten oh, to this point? We should never have been here in the first place. Absolutely. Year. And it's, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's the same thing, conversation with helmets. It's the same conversation with fighting. It's like, are we going to wait until someone dies or really injures themselves or harms and another? we have crossed that line here. But, and of course, now that we're living with the consequences. That, and that's yeah. just no, it. That's right. So prevent, I, I mean, what Elliot's saying about prevention training, like, that that is a that is a very important part of this right now, and I think that that's in the step of this investigation that we're in right now. All right. Well, I feel like we've done a good job, sort of having the conversation. I would encourage everyone out there continue to have these conversations because they are important to have. We need to be having them more at every level of hockey. We need to be having them at every level of sport. These kind of these kind of stories are way more common than I think even get reported, and that is the. Uh, hardest part about this this the, these incidents need to continually to be brought to the light so that we can continue to try to it, it, it address them and deal with them and 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 as we've already pointed out here they should be addressed before they ever happen they should this should be something that we're doing a better job of getting in front of let's hope that the uh, consequences of this situation do lead to some form of that i don't know how successful uh, they'll be in that but let's let's leave it on a positive note saying uh, as Braden said, you know, it, 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 for, for the sake of this victim, for the sake of all victims, um, we can never stop trying to, 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 to hold these people accountable and continue to trying to make it better. So we'll leave it there for now. That's topic two. Do you like fast cars? Do you like when they race? Whether you're a seasoned Formula One fan or you've just discovered the rush of racing... Check out the Pit Stop Podcast presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Join Jordan, Tyler, and Braden each week as they recap every race as well as break down the biggest stories on and off the track, all before setting you up for the next race in the Formula One schedule. The Pit Stop Podcast is available anywhere you get your podcast. All right, topic three. We're going to... Um have a little bit of fun here to round this show out. We had a lot of excitement around free agency during uh, the last week. We talked last week about what are some of our expectations were. We kind of recap some, some of the big storylines from the draft. Lots obviously has happened since then. We're not going to get too much into uh, all of the free agency, all of the different, you know, uh, trades, any of that kind of stuff. You can find that somewhere else. I'm sure that there's been a lot of content you've already consumed if you're a fan of hockey this week we're not going to do that instead we're gonna have a little bit of fun we're each going to give you a winner and a loser for the week um who do we think uh was the biggest winner of free agency in the offseason so far and who do we think was the biggest loser uh brayden let's go to you first who for you uh in this 2022 offseason for the nhl is your biggest winner uh without a doubt the ottawa senators i think they captured one of the biggest fish right at the top of the day on uh what july 13th not kind of the day yeah <laughs> the free agency day uh in signing hometown claude Giroux uh a couple days before pulling in cam or was it maybe the same day even cam talbot came i can't remember what day in a trade yeah trade for uh philip gustafson so they really solidified uh you know a goaltending thing bringing in alex to bring out one of the 
arguably one of the best sniping like snipers yeah on, top on five scores yeah. top 10 scores in the league for sure uh just i think i mean then they've already got an incredible core with birdie kachuk and and tim stutzla and, uh, you know for it's now. just good <laughs> it's just good stuff like i'm just i'm just i'm pleased for them they've been perennially terrible and i think just for I think Eugene Melnick would be smiling down looking at his auto senators uh, today, at least the roster that it is. Well, and it's funny because last year, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk out of Pierre Dorian that they were all in, this was their time to win. And you kind of looked at them and went, really, this is all you've got. Like, this is your all in on these guys. And obviously there's, as you say, there's a lot to be positive about there, but they have really done a, a, a lot of work this off season to improve that roster. And if they can get it to click, they will definitely be competitive in the East. All right, Elliot, who is your winner uh, so far? Uh, there's a couple. I mean, Ottawa is a good pick. I, I really like what Cal- uh, Carolina has done. Uh, the hurricanes are going to be fun to watch next year. Uh, of course, adding Brent Burns and, uh, and uh and max patcheretti via trade i i think that they're going to be an interesting team they seem like they were right on the cusp last year many of them had uh many people including myself had them coming out of the east um uh, you know that ended up not being the case they just weren't quite there and i think the moves they've made this off season are are good for them and and i think they're ready to take a step and i think the hurricanes are going to be fun this year they do feel like one of those teams that um, not unlike Colorado a year ago or a couple years ago, is like they're learning how to win. Oh, yeah. And they're getting better and they're they've figuring been, those pieces they've been out. Good. They've been really good. And there's a culture there that's like they, well, they sure. have fun winning. Yeah. It's, and it's clear to see. And Rod Brindamore has to be one of the best coaches right now in the league in terms of just yeah. the innovation of it, what he's doing with that oh, team. Adding Brent Burns, which is not only a veteran, but a much bigger body than Tony well, D'Angelo, who went out, obviously. So yeah. a puck move. All right. So my winner is going to be Ken Holland. Uh, specifically, not just the Oilers, but specifically Ken Holland, and here's why. I think the Oilers have done a lot of things to improve their roster, given what they had. Obviously, I don't know what kind of arm twisting he did. Somehow he convinced Duncan Keith to retire. (laughs) They've identified that uh, Mike Smith has enough injury problems. You can put him on LTR. He gets himself out of a really bad deal he himself made by trading Cassian and then coming into free agency, he had a, a checklist that every other fan also had in terms of needs. <laughs> and he's pretty much gone from top to bottom yeah. down that checklist. You have a goaltender in Jack Campbell check. You have gone and addressed some defense that you were missing pieces, obviously by losing, um, by losing Duncan, Duncan Keith, you go and you ensure that you re-signed Brett Kulak, who has played incredibly well. You make sure that you've gone and added some depth, not only depth, but top six scoring because you're able to get a Vander Kane re-signed at La an unbelievable deal. I mean, to, to give Vander Kane credit, I think that it is as much a uh, an indication from a Vander Kane that not only is he enjoying playing with Connor McDavid and who wouldn't, but moreover that I think he is thanking Ken Holland for taking the risk and the challenge and taking a lot of the heat that he got earlier this year for signing him. He has proved that at least on the ice, he is still what many people have expected Evander Kane to be. He's gone and added some depth players. When you can get a guy named Greg, Mc, Mc, uh, Greg, what is it? Greg, Greg McCraig. No, no, it's oh. uh, Greg McCaig. Greg is going to play in the egg. Look, it's so much fun to see what he's done with it. And I think the most important thing is he has rehabilitated his own image with Oiler fans. That's the biggest win for me. <laughs> a lot of people very hard on Ken Holland over the last couple of years. How could you make that deal? How could you do this deal? How could you make the Duncan Keith deal? How could you go and sign Zach Cassie into that much money? How could, you know, all of these pieces and 
constantly being like, you're not in win now mode. You're not in win now mode. And here he goes and says, we're in win now mode. This is what it really looks like when I'm in win now mode. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get all of the pieces we need to make us better. And look, I think the Oilers on paper um, did did everything they were supposed to do. Now now you just have to see if all the pieces fit together, right? He traded Zach Cassian for a first round pick. Now it might have been the very last pick of the first round. Well, he gave up a first round to get him as well. That's fantastic. It is a good deal. Look, to to get rid of him. And he's not done. That's the other thing. We know for a fact he has two RFAs who are going to arbitration. We will find out how that plays out. Yamo and Pugliarvi are going to uh, arbitration. It's funny when you look at like the cap friendly, there's no money left. But he, I believe very strongly, he has earmarked money knowing where he's going to shuffle contracts up and down through the minors. I think he's got a plan. And I'm a disciple of it right now. I'm willing to buy into it. For me, he's he's my winner. Let's go like a snake draft. We'll go. We'll go back. I'll, I'll go last just because I just talked a lot. But Elliot, we'll go to you first. Who is your biggest loser of the offseason? Uh, I don't know. The city of Calgary. I mean, I, it just seems <laughs> ah, like ah, is, this Johnny yeah. Hockey thing, like, it's just, <laughs> it's destroyed them. And, I, you know, I kind of feel for them because that's nah, similar things have happened to Edmonton in the past. You know, if you're you got to want like you're maybe Calgary's not a destination place you want to be. I, I, I appreciate that uh, Johnny Goudreau has the right to go wherever he wanted to go. And, uh, uh, and I, but I think they kind of got screwed because he told them too late. So they didn't really have a backup plan, but that's their fault for not having a backup plan. Like, Oh, it's just a mess. Calgary's gonna take a big step back next year. You have to think, cause everyone else in the division is good really really good or much of that backup plan do you think just didn't pan out like in terms of they were after those guys palat uh some of the guys that were left over and who just said no sorry i'm not coming there i mean you you know you make a good point there it's and you will never know or i'm sure there's some people that do know we might find out later on and you know what's actually going on here i i i I would assume they, they had plans but you also work those deals for a while and you build those relationships and other teams had a head start on them because they just didn't know what they were doing. And that's yeah. Yep. Look, Jerome McGinley, Mika Kiprasov, um, Martin Jelena, and now Goudreau all yeah. walked as free agents oh, from Calgary. Talk about asset mismanagement historically with this organization, not different managers, but regardless, this organization has a horrible track record of getting it right when when gambling on whether a player is going to resign with them or not and not getting anything for good draw at the oh, deadline no. now knowing how where calgary ended up now they, they were in a great position they expected to beat the oilers they expected to play deeper into the playoffs so it's hard to say that you should or shouldn't have traded them at that point but looking back on it now like oh my lord to lose that player for absolutely nothing and it's funny you say Gaudreau had the right to go anywhere he wanted well kind of he wanted to go to philly and they didn't want him um, or didn't have the money for him, moreover. Um, but the point being, you're right, he did have the right to go, and Calgary just mishandled it. So it's got to be a tough time in Calgary because now you're also looking down the barrel of Matthew Kachuk, thinking, yeah. What's next with us here? If we can't get this kid to stay here and want to play here, we're like, we're literally at the precipice of an of a huge rebuild that would include having to move guys like Markstrom and Elias Lindholm and Chris Tanev and these valuable players that you have put around these two young superstars that you had up front and they may not want to be there. And then you're in a real, like real world hurt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. All right. That's a good one, Elliot. I think we all agree on that one. Definitely one of the losers. Brayden, who is your biggest loser of the off season so far? I think it's a very similar situation. Well, not very similar, but maybe one that Calgary will find themselves in soon. Um, 
the Chicago Blackhawks have a new GM who just completely sold the farm, like everything. He just kind of fire sale fire must sale. go. Yeah. Everybody must go. And that's just it. Like Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane. Sounds like Patrick Jones, Kane's on the way out. They're all sitting there going, what the heck happened to our well, team? Especially Seth Jones. Like, think about the Ryan? free agency deal he signed. And he's like, wait, we're not a contender. Yeah. Well, yeah, and they had Flurry last year too, right? So they're just—I mean, they're—they're they're vying for Connor Bedard now, and uh, and they had three first-round picks. I don't know how they're excited about that in terms of the next year or two. It's going to be a struggle here for Chicago, and I think that they—they—they they, they suffer. It always always suffers. To be well, and as we talked and... about earlier, maybe karma does come around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it was <laughs> hilarious to watch that GM just complete. I mean, he gets up on stage and. You're like, does he know what he's doing yet? Anyway, tough, tough one. All right. My biggest loser to round this out is the one team that did absolutely nothing. We're to talk about Calgary. No, the New York Islanders are the only team this year to not sign a single free agent. Wow. They were in on several of them, including Gaudreau, that they've come out and said, we tried for Johnny Gaudreau. That was clearly their big fish. They did not sign him, could not sign him, or he chose not to be there regardless. But they have yet to do a single thing in this off season. This is a team that going into last year was expected to be a competitive team. Absolutely fell apart, fires their head coach in Barry Trotz. You have their star in Matthew Barzell, probably looking for a new home. Mm. And you think about what that organization is uh, in terms of just the absolute like roller coaster of, you know, feast and famine. They've been, they were so bad for so many years with Jonathan Tave or John, John Tavares there yeah. with all the potential to build a team around him. And they just couldn't put the pieces together, mismanagement, all of that. And then you move into a period where all of a sudden you win uh, by getting this kid Barzell, who absolutely lights it up. You fill that roster out around him. Guys like Eberly guys, like hey, just, you remember how they got Barzell? Yeah. We've traded for Griffin Reinhardt. I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. Point being point being from the Islanders perspective, they have, Every time they have gotten close to being a competitive team, yeah. it's literally just the floor has just fallen out. And here they are sitting. It almost looked like they were in such sort of disarray that they didn't want to do anything for fear that they did the wrong thing. And they that you have to be a loser for that. You are one of 32 teams in this league. If you are not a part of every year's arms race, you are not going to compete. Now, maybe that's the plan. Yeah, maybe they are in yeah, rebuild. So, so, so. But the truth is, this is the NHL, and it can go so quickly one or the other ways. It was just surprising. Look, they could still make maybe make a deal here. There's make a deal. Left. To be fair, there is one. Uh, I, I shouldn't say they did nothing. They did get Alex Romanoff. They made one trade. Right. They yeah, made one trade. But is Alex Romanoff really the big difference maker here for, for, for Long Island? No. The New York Islanders right now look to me like they're just completely deer in headlights. And for that reason, they are my biggest lose. But you got to remember, who's the GM there? It's Lou, Lou Lamorello. He's notorious. I mean, notorious I, I would be slow, did you say? Lou Lamorello. Yeah. Yeah, he's just notoriously slow. For, slow, like, yeah. Slow. yeah. I mean, there was there was some people were saying, like, he he won't. He's the only GM that follows the rules. Will not pick up the phone until 12 o'clock noon on, on. Oh, free wow. Wow. He's like, where, where are all the free agents? Going? Yeah. Yeah. That's so they're like, Oh, well they've been tampering for the last week. Yeah. Everyone else. Oh, that's the other thing. The tampering conversation I think is going to heat up too. Anyway, I think you're right. I just, you know, watch, you'll say this, we'll put out the episode and then tomorrow they'll sign Caudry. 
And hey, and if well, they do yeah, that, yeah, give them full sense. credit. That'd be a good deal for them because he's a kind of piece that could fit there. He's also the kind of piece that could fix the loser in Calgary because that would be the kind of signing for at least them that they could they yeah. could at least save a little face and say, look, we've got a quality player. Yeah. But from Godry's perspective, why the hell would yeah. you want to go to Calgary right I now? Play on the it, line. And why the hell would you want to go to the island? Kadri has his pick of the litter right now. Any team that, that has money and wants to go get him, he will get to decide where he goes uh, as far as what those I options think are. Be Seattle. That's my, that's my pick. It's very likely it will be. We'll wait and see. Look, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, joining me, Elliot and Braden. I appreciate it. This has been another great week where we've gotten into some difficult stuff. We've talked about some of the fun stuff going on. It's always interesting in the summer because you never know what you're going to get. But we got, we got a lot to talk about and we'll have a lot more to talk about next week. Um, And until then, please thank you. Uh, If you haven't already go subscribe, you can follow us on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere you get your podcast. You can follow us on Instagram uh, or on Facebook, or on Twitter, all of the socials. We're very social. Very social. Uh, thank you for listening. That was Hatcher. Hatrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.